you know, my background is is Dutch, Scottish, and and English, British. Um, and so like I can drink beer and and consume beer that other people couldn't. Like it doesn't bother my body. I don't have an allergic response to that. That's genetically kind of like put into my system, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that we have to accept that everybody's different. And then secondly, we have to accept that we're different at different stages of our lives. So what I needed when I was pregnant, and I'd been a vegan, a vegan, vegan, I started eating eggs when I was pregnant because I couldn't get enough protein in my body from a vegan source. I understood that my body was telling me very clearly what was happening. Yeah. So when you live a balanced life, your body actually tells you. So for somebody else to dictate the terms and conditions upon what you're consuming and when and how and why is really nobody's frigging business as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well said, yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast, maybe the one which ends 2024. That sounds very Armageddon-ish, but um, no, it's just one more week in the year that is going to be another year, but it's one of those things that I want to address, which is this time of the year, typically the weeks to follow will be full of self-improvement advice on the internet and social media and whatever your reference point is, will be inundated with things on how to get better, to improve your performance, how to become a better human being, how to become more compassionate, how to get into a space which is a better version of yourself. And let me try to understand this because I am fascinated with the idea that all of us individually and collectively, we are enough. We are all doing things that we need to do and we can't do or aspire to do something else that someone else is doing. Let, let me break it down, right? Because it sounds stupid when I say it like that. But for instance, you know, when we think of the big names in society, money-wise, achievement-wise, success-wise, we kind of envy where they are and what they are doing. Um, but if you think about it, you know, they are, they, they are kind of serving their role in society and in their life and in the larger scheme of all our lives. And if we can kind of appreciate what we are doing for what it is in its uh, significance or lack of, isn't that just fantastic? Because this idea of we can't do something as a result, we have to try harder, sets us up for a very, very unfulfilling and a journey full of de dejection, which when you think about it, okay, you might put in that extra hard work and finally get there, but it feels empty because it's maybe not the role that is laid out for you, uh, but it's something that you felt conditioned to believe that you need to pursue. But if you can skip all that dejection and that lack of fulfillment and kind of just take joy in what you are doing already and who you are already, isn't that just a lot more time saved so you can enjoy the life that you are doing and the role that you are given to live? And I think that's quite an amazing thing. So, the, so when you look at it from that point of view, then this whole idea of self-improvement, taking on more in knowledge, taking on more things to do to become a better person just goes away because then you're working automatically from the premise that you already are what you need to be. 
And the only way you can find more fulfillment and joy is to kind of accept whatever comes your way. If it's happiness, it comes. If it's sadness, it comes. If it's money, it comes. If it's lack of money, it comes. If it's success, it comes and goes. And you kind of are more graceful in accepting what is laid out. And uh, you're not kind of also this this have this fatalistic kind of view which is oh i'll just wait and let 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 the world and life throw whatever it has to throw at me but you kind of have that balance where you're not running after someone else's uh achievements and what they are uh, they have done and what you think that that is the standard of success but at the same time you're not just resigned to the fact that i'll just take whatever shit comes my way it's this fine point where you are already what you need to be and who you are and you're kind of uh just working on reducing the resistance that you built up which are all these thought patterns of oh success and someone else's idea of success and someone else's standard of success and money and finances and dreams and hopes and you're kind of just saying you know what this is the thing that i am um going to do because i i already am who i need to be i'm not going to put in more stuff to improve but i'm just going to take away patterns that hold me back ways of thinking the ways i've uh, the ways in which you view relationships certain old kind of things that anchor you down hold you down so it's more of looking at yourself as a as as a as an entire being and instead of adding more and making more noise for that space you're kind of taking out stuff to silence the space a little more give more clarity and not in the way you view the world around you but in the way you view yourself and if you start looking at yourself as a an opportunity to kind of understand who you are then you realize that my god man 100 years is not enough because you know what you can pick up as many self help books and listen to as many self improvement podcasts but if you start to look at yourself as the only person who can do it in the best way which is you you kind of just take away all these things and you realize my god it's such a deep and such a beautiful journey which i didn't realize i had and the power within you is um give gives you immediately a sense of you know what man this is this is life it's it's me looking at myself on this journey in this role and kind of instead of just constantly feeling inadequate and trying to do something else and trying to be someone else i'm just kind of going to take away those 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 the, the, the cobwebs the the patterns uh you start looking at why you're doing things and what what they do for you uh, whether it's with work whether it's for pleasure uh even you start you know evaluating what is pleasure for me right does it really give me pleasure is this something someone told me i should do because it makes me more socially acceptable or it's a way to kind of fit into the larger group and it's such a uh, fascinating way of looking at how who we all are and then you kind of also start looking at other people with less irritation less annoyance because you kind of just say you know what you're on your own uh path and even if they are obnoxious they come in the way they kind of put you down you kind of start um reacting less you start feeling less threatened you start feeling less intimidated you start feeling less anger and annoyance of course it's there it's not going to go oh, go away magically but you start um appreciating that each person has their role to play and they have to go about it in their own way and you can't force them to look at it and you can't force yourself to uh go and save them but all you can do is kind of appreciate what you've been given and what you're set out to do in uh in all its good and bad and happy and sad and right and wrong and just appreciate that this is the actual meaning of life which is your appreciation for this mind body this existence and um you know getting along and getting by and doing stuff and um 
looking within and kind of taking away some things that hold you back um letting go of some things that don't work for you anymore and maybe even finding stuff that you didn't know you had within you instead of adding on more stuff which other people say might be good for you and that as a result becomes your own way your own set of tools to experience and fully experience and express what you are experiencing yeah did i just set out i set out to say that you know what you're going to be inundated by self help shit and i ended up doing it myself but this is not so much me telling you what to do right uh it's just telling myself and acknowledging what i appreciate in the way of in this way of thinking so um clearly as you listen to this podcast you know i'm not a preacher i'm not a teacher i'm a midnight creature i'm just thinking out loud and i thought if you're in that place where you are looking everywhere you're running around like a headless chicken i don't know how they run um if you're inundated with all these messages and you're seeking the answer i think the the best thing is just start looking for the right questions to ask because i think the answers out there who and uh, don't get get too carried away because even in this idea of self discovery self realization self reflection it can easily become someone else's self reflection which is kind of imposed onto you and then you think that it's the question and the journey you need to be on but you may not uh you may need not or may not or you may not need to that's what i wanted to say uh go on that particular thing because that's maybe not what you need but you already are um you already are on that path it's just that you need to figure out for yourself what things you need to leave along the way as opposed to picking up stuff and adding it and making your bags heavier just uh, lighten the load bro because it just feels good um well on that note i'm going to talk about today's guest ann barnes she's the founder of edica naturals and a, we talk about well things we put into our body into our mind into our soul into our spirit into our stomachs um she makes the company makes supplements natural supplements plant based supplements for women and men to treat a lot of symptoms that we develop as human beings as we age you know for women menopausal issues like brain fog and inflammation and uh, hot flushes but men as well like joint pain inflammation so these are things uh which we talk about on the podcast today on the episode about what is causing these issues is it environmental why are younger and younger girl, why are women first of all girls getting their uh, starting on their menstrual cycle at a younger age why are there so many people women with pcod pcos why are there genetic changes why are there children being born who are more children being born on the autism spectrum why are we making these choices under the guise of climate change are electric vehicles are the batteries what are those batteries doing to us so one aspect we think is the food right and then we have other aspects which you can't control like for instance if you're in delhi you're like my god the air quality is shit of course you can't control the air quality if you live in a city unless you escape and live in a farm but even then you don't know the ground water which is flowing under you don't know the quality of the soil you don't know the quality of the air so in addition to these so called uncontrolled factors we do have other factors like the water now we get ro water right or you get mineral water or you get um alkaline water or whatever these different things which are being sold to you do you actually know what water is coming into your taps or through your taps and there are various things that we think we know but at the same time it would be 
a lot more sensible if we can just understand that as opposed to just popping all these various diets into our system, all these various exercises. So everything that we do, we're putting it into our bodies in some way. It's the air we breathe, it's the water we drink, it's the food, it's the substances within the food, it's the ingredients in our recipes, it's the vegetables where they're grown, the soil they're grown in. So all these things are functioning in such micro and macro levels. And we just suddenly think, so disconnectedly of stuff coming in a box or stuff coming in a bag or stuff where it came from an organic farm. But this is where I think the fundamental change going forward can be because we all are organisms at every level. And it's not just that, you know, someone grows food, it becomes dead and then you eat it. But everything kind of grows. Everything does have a life cycle of its own. It does have its own changes that it goes through. So how do we exist and go forward? What are the things that we can do to make sure that we are at least understanding what we are doing to our minds and bodies with the food we put in, with water we drink and with the air we breathe, as opposed to just running after climate change solutions, just banning fossil fuels, starting only EVs. So there is a bit of a dance that we all are involved in and we kind of navigate this dance we do it as a society we do it as individuals within a society we do it as individuals collectively forming families we kind of watch what our kids eat but at the same time there's a narrative which is being pushed by big companies that few of these companies own everything from food to healthcare so how can you kind of take back more control into what you put into your mind and body so that's a lot of what we talk about Besides other things, I'm sure you'll have an amazing listen to Anne because she spent a lot of years studying this, also taking care of her kids and also putting in a lot of work with researching and giving facts based on what she has found. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Anne Barnes. And before I say that, I want to let you guys know it's been a really, really fun year doing this for you. 2023 has been a lovely run of episodes. Thank you to all of you for listening. I'm going to be taking a quick break in January for a few weeks to work on my book and work on some other ideas that I put on the back burner. So I'm going to take some time off, come back in Feb with new conversations with, as always, fantastic human beings who are doing a lot of work in their space. And here's my sign off, thanking you for listening, thanking all the guests who've been on this podcast in 2023. I look forward to 2024. Don't get overwhelmed by all the bullshit out there. Don't get caught up by resolutions. You are awesome the way you are. Appreciate it. Cheers. God bless. Happy, happy new year to all of you. Catch you in a month. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very um, thrilled to be there. And I'm gonna, I would like to say good morning because it's 5.30 a.m. here, but I understand it's 4.30, 5.30 in the evening there. So I'm going to say good evening to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining me so early in the morning. And it's nice when you said uh, on email, like five o'clock, I'm usually up by then. I'm like, mm, I like this because it works for the time zone. It's the people yes. are like, can we do this at seven in the evening? I'm like, what, 3.30 a.m.? Are you crazy? <laughs> so, um, well, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about um, the, 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 the journey that got you set on starting the plant-based supplement company. But uh, before that, I want to just address something which, you know, maybe as a man, it's criminal and it's sacrilege for me to talk about. But being, you know, a husband and being a son and being a brother and being an uncle and being a father now um, to, I mean, to women um, and, and a baby girl. I'm just interested to know with the the the, the, the lifespan of women, um, 
you know, the roles that they play and they're expected to play. And now there's a lot of conversation about balancing life, balancing motherhood, balancing so many things. Um, so that traditionally, I mean, not traditionally, but, you know, medically or biologically, there's obviously the first cycle, which was when, when a girl hits puberty, you get the menstrual cycle. And then if a girl or a woman has a child, there's the other event which sends the body through different hormonal changes. And then menopause, which again, sends the woman's body through uh, multiple hormonal changes. Um, but have you, have you in your experience, which led you to create this, uh, these supplements, has there been an environmental change that is affecting women's, uh, I don't know if it's called body clock or menstrual clock, because you hear a lot about these things of PCOD, PCOS, you know, a lot of issues with conceiving a lot of women having um, various pregnancy related issues, or even at a younger age issues with um, their periods coming late. I, I, I don't know, as I said, I'm not a woman or a medical expert in women's health, but just from hearing these various conversations, is there, has there been a change over the past say 50 years in this, um, in this, in this system? Yeah. Thank you for addressing that because I really appreciate that question. And as so I'm, I'm a mother of two children, you know, my children are now 20 and 17. Mm-hmm. And um, I started out this whole process as being like, you know, what people probably would have deemed to be like helicopter parenting, which is the term that you was used for sort of like, you know, overly, you know, overly concerned parents. Um, I don't think I was overly concerned. I actually thought that when I was coming through the parenting system that I actually had a pretty good read on what was happening. Mm. And that was actually before I started my health and wellness company. So my background is corporate securities law. So I came up as like in in the professional ranks, like in big companies, um, very big law firms, um, had the money and and the means to basically you know, provide for myself, however I wanted. Yeah. When I had children, um, I very much was, I've always been into health and wellness. So I've been a vegetarian since I was 17 years old. That's like going on 30 plus years now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 35 years. Um, so, and that was, I did that when it wasn't cool, when it wasn't trending, when it wasn't something to kind of, I was a freak basically. <laughs> so I, I was, um, so I, I really had my own health issues as a teenager. I uh, suffered from some mental health issues. I was anorexic. I got myself into like some pretty dangerous, you know, uh, health crises at the time. Um, so I turned to health and wellness. So I became very much a health and wellness person through my 20s and really did a lot of research. And my law background really helped me to do that research. So when I finally did have kids, I wasn't doing it as a helicopter, like this is on trend parent. I was doing it because I actually had that knowledge and that background that this is actually contaminating our food. Um, You know, we've got plastics that basically leach into our system, into our food systems through containers, through uh, products. Um, We've got like contamination, like at source of all of our, basically of all of our fruits, vegetables, grains from the additives that they're putting into the soils. So what I noticed with my own children was how different they were from some of the other kids. Like they were brought up on like full organic, full, uh, you know, no pesticides, no herbicides. 
really clean eating, clean water. And I saw a difference between how they were responding and how some other kids were responding. And then you start to see like the learning disabilities and the behavioral issues. And I would notice that, you know, the kids, you know, the kids would come home from school and say, oh, you know, everything was fine at school. And then after lunch, everything goes crazy. You know, the kids Mm. just are going crazy. I'm like, why is that? It's got to be something in their lunch. So I volunteered for a couple of like school trips when the kids were really young, like five years old, you know, kindergarten kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and you look at the kids' lunches and they're full of like, literally, I was trying to find for one girl's lunch, like healthy options. And there was everything was sugar, everything was sugar. Yeah. Like, or it was a carbohydrate, which translates into a sugar or dairy that translates into a sugar and people don't understand that. So literally that we're feeding our children like tons of sugar. So the answer to your question, like has hormonal issues in females changed in the last 50 years? The answer is yes. And the answer is yes, not only for women, but it's for men too. Mm -hmm. So now you have men with very low sperm count. You have females that are going into, um, they're having their, their periods and starting their their hormonal journey at very young ages, you know, the average was 12 before now it's gotten down, I think to like nine or 10. This oh, is wow. globally. That's by so, three years. Yeah. The issues are quite dramatic. And now you're seeing like a lot of like, um, a lot of, uh, difficulties getting pregnant for women, the low sperm count for men. So we have created, I believe a hormonal cesspool for humanity, basically as a result of us, um, not paying attention to what we're eating, what we're drinking, and the quality of what that is, and demanding that from you know from our you know leaders locally, you know provincially, state-wise, federally, um, to provide that because to mm. me that is like that is the beginning of health, and that is how you're programming your children as well in their bodily functions. So it's uh, it's always been a really big uh, a big issue for me, and that's. Part of the reason why I jumped from going from corporate law and I actually started a health food company and left corporate law to actually do this when my son was six years old or five years old. And that that really pushed me into a whole other level of, of understanding and knowledge, which um, was dis, dis, disheartening at the time. But, you know, I've kept on the I've kept on the, you know, the call like, hey, let's stop this. Let's stop and look back because like what our grandparents and great grandparents were doing was a lot healthier than what we're doing today, in my opinion. You know, when you hear the whole panic going on right now about climate change and how factory farms are ruining um, um, the environment, how CO2 levels are up because of certain methane levels or whatever it may be when that conversation, it sounds like, you know, with low, uh, lowered sperm counts, women having fertility issues, and when people say by 2100, humanity, uh, the, the, the earth will not be inhabitable for human beings, it, does, it sounds like we won't be there. Because I was reading somewhere else that our population, we think is exploding, but it's actually on the decline. And there are certain mm-hmm. countries by the mid 2050s, which will have a significantly higher population of older people or people above 60 than younger people. And with this, where uh, a cultural situation where Gen Zers aren't looking to have kids or start a family along uh, combined with this lowered sperm count fertility issues. I mean, I know personally in my circle of uh, friends and extended friends, a lot of people going for the IVF treatments, getting these, these, mm-hmm. these um, 
uh, test tube babies, if you want to call it, if that's not too insensitive for people. But all these procedures becoming more and more common and even the way the, pre the pregnancies are looked at it's much more clinical right it's like okay this date you go in for a c-section and then you come out and it's formula and it's just become like um, one is of course it's the role of a woman right you have to get back to work and you're expected to earn and you're expected to grow up in, in whatever line of work which is nothing wrong with that but um, that's another topic but just the way you know, environmentally, we're so concerned about ruining the planet, which I think is a real concern in some ways with the way we're dumping chemicals, the way we're um, burning fossil fuels. But at the same time, we don't talk about the the problem of batteries, right? When we say oh, e EVs, but who knows what's, if you're sitting in a car which is powered by cobalt or lithium or whatever those materials are, what are they doing to us? Are we breathing in these particles? Are we absorbing this through some way? Because I just started looking at the whole science of ayurveda right where it talks about you don't just eat with your food but you're breathing in things you're smelling in things there's so many things which are environmental causes to your health and it's by health your mind and your body which aren't distinguished in those in, in that science so I, I'm, I'm almost like are we just doing this to, to, to kind of build panic when maybe not by 2100 but in 150 years we'll just be dwindling down because of the things that we have done to ourselves through the through the actions of what we're putting into the environment. I think that that is a very um, complex question. Mm. And because there's a lot of assumptions in the question itself. Yeah. So, and I, just for perspective, I have been in the past a very big climate activist. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of my desire to help the planet has really dictated my choices in life in terms of like what roles that I've taken, you know, what, what businesses I've, what entrepreneurial pursuits I've had, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's very dear to my heart. What bothers me about the climate change platform, and I'm calling it a platform, mm -hmm. is that the largest voices right now for that platform are the very individuals, companies, and families that have incredibly benefited financially and from a power perspective for pursuing the non-climate agenda. Right. So, and I'm going to give you the example of hemp. So, you know, we've had a hundred years of like, you know, plastics, well, since the thirties, so like 90 years so we've had, you know, 90 years of plas the plastics industry really pushing themselves. Um, and there were specific companies and families and oil companies that were behind that because plastic, as you know, is a derivative and a byproduct of the oil industry. So yeah. they get to make more money off of another derivative of like basically a like side junk that they need to do something with. Right. Fluoride is the same thing. Yeah. Um, so they, they basically pushed this agenda of plastics, benefited from it, made gajillions of dollars off of it, both from the oil perspective and from the plastics perspective. And that was pushed through in the 1930s. And in fact, in the 1930s, there was a real debate going on about hemp, which is, uh, you know, a, a derivative of cannabis sativa which had been used for hundreds of years before that the constitution was written on hemp paper, you know, the word, um, uh, you know, canvas is from cannabis. It's a derivative. So that was like 
all of your, your boat supplies, all, all, everything that you can think of that kind of went into construction materials was made from hemp. And this got basically demonized in the 1930s, and it was very strategically done by overwhelming, you know, oil companies and magnets and, com- and, and families that were benefiting by that and pushed through an agenda of demonizing this incredible plant yeah. that not only gives protein and omega-3s and fiber and basically has zero negative impacts on the environment. And actually, hemp actually gives, and cannabis gives more value to the soil yeah. as it depletes than it does like not. So it's actually an added input if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and this all got demonized and outlawed um and actually marginalized in a racial slur like marijuana the word marijuana is like mary maria and juan it became a racial slur about south american immigrants that oh that's what they use and they just get high and they're this and they're that Mm. rather than looking at the plant and the entire industry that was behind it so to answer your question, like, I believe that the climate change platform is actually not legitimate in my mind, because it's being run by people that are now going to benefit on the other side of them saying, oops, we made a mistake for 90 years. Now we're going to solve it. And you're going to go through our companies and our means of like, solving this problem that they basically created in the first place. Mm. Right. Having said that, do I think that you know, Gaia, Mother Earth, like everything that provides a sustenance should be protected. Absolutely. And I think that it's really up to us as individuals to make those daily choices and to insist that we get access to, you know, clean water, that we get access to un- unpolluted foods, that we understand what's in our foods. Like, how are you processing our food? What's actually in this? Because they don't have to describe that to you on a set of ingredients. So for me, climate change is very much a, I'm not part of the platform. I'm not buying into the platform. I'm not going to be based off on fear. I don't believe that our world is going to end in the next hundred years. I believe that we are supposed to be here as human beings and we can provide a lot of value to the planet, but our, our perspective on how we interact with the planet has to change. And that comes from an individual rather than being, you know, programmed into it. Yeah. And, you know, I was hinting towards the end of the thing in a kind of sardonic way, saying, you know, we we kind of are so um, kind of told to panic about the end of the planet, but it looks like we're kind of being told lies to not look at the truth, which is we are being poisoned and we are being poisoned by the various uh, narratives when it comes to the food narrative, when it comes to air pollution. And and it's being done in such a deliberate way, saying, oh, my God, look at the pollutants when it's coming into your house, right? Whether it's under the guise of supermarkets or under the, under the guise of um, your governments or the, or, or the local um, water stations pumping in water. It's not about what is just on the store shelves. But if you just, you know, breathe, like I live in Bangalore, which is a pretty heavily populated city in India. And, you know, sometimes I'm like sitting there smoking a cigarette. I'm going, this is really bad for me and the planet. Uh, Maybe more for me because I think the planet has bigger lungs. Uh, But um, then I'm just smelling the air on the the road, which is about 100 meters from my house. And I'm like, this can't be good for people who are non-smokers because there's so much crap out there. And even in the water. 
because um, you know in India traditionally we used to boil the water and drink it, and now right. there are so many of these systems like reverse osmosis or or alkaline water and all these things which come through machines, right? And they're fed through these pipes and they're processed. And e- even concepts like the microwave, of course, they've been around for many many years now. But I'm not saying ancient India had it all, but you know the idea of going down, picking up fresh vegetables from the day for the day cooking that. Now we've kind of taken the Western approach of refrigeration. And I'm again, don't mistake me. I think there's some great benefits to refrigeration because you can't get cold beer from a, from a pot. Uh, but, you know, there are excesses now because I think it's almost like a blind following of a narrative, which is this is seen as the new conveniences that you just undoubtedly have to have. The television, the refrigerator, the microwave, get uh, processed water. And, and of course, I don't want to get a bad stomach from bad water, but... Doesn't that take away the accountability of the people providing the farmers with good soil as opposed to just pushing down really, really horrible pesticides and kind of phasing out the farmers who can't afford, who won't go on board? I mean, it starts from that end where you have high farmer suicide in India. You have no support for the ones who don't want to go on uh, pesticides. Then you have all these various supply things, which I can't sit in Bangalore in a big city and say, I don't know where my food comes from, but I can maybe, because I have some money, I can go to a friend of a friend who started, say, aquaponics or hydroponics, whatever it's called, farming, and he specializes because he's got uh, his father's land and he can do it. But that's not scalable. That's good for 10 families who can afford it. But um, I don't have a question here. I'm just sort of rambling a little bit. But I just don't understand, how do we change this individually, right? As you said, it's important because you've done this uh, when your when your son was five, you moved away from the corporate world to kind of know what your um, in some way you have an oversight of what your children are exposed to, especially with the most essential things, which is food and water and the things that go into their mind and body, which automatically makes them healthier and able to face the environment. Uh, but when you when you look at the options on a global scale for individuals. Um, is, is it sustainable to, for, I mean, I think it's essential that each person looks after the food they eat and the water they drink, because it's, without that, um, you can't really go work and become a CEO, which is now the new narrative, right? So what is your take on this, as in how do we take the next steps forward without going all into a panic about climate change and fatalistic views about the planet ending, but in a more sensible, in a more kind way, kind of understanding the situation. And again, because it seems like only people who have the opportunity to take a step back and not just work in India, especially a lot of people who work on daily wages, they don't know what food they're getting. And they get these things called the ration cards where they're just given grain and lentils and whatnot, uh, certain basic rations to live on by the government. And when you talk to people who come home to work, they're like, yeah, half of it is filled with worms and half of it is filled with stones. And you don't, so I'm just trying to get a picture which is not too overwhelming, but at the same time, try to understand without too much money, is there a way of taking control of the food you put into you and your children and your family? I think that's what you've touched on is is really vital. And I would say that it's not just, I'd say that it's probably more um, obvious in some countries like India right now, um, but it is going to be hitting us globally, all of those issues that you've just touched upon, because the food system has basically been taken over by corporations and the corporations are pretty much all run by the same 
the same individuals when you're when you're, when you're in publicly traded companies. There's there's three different companies that basically own pretty much the world. They actually own, I think it's it's seventy percent of the actual fund management is owned by pretty much one or two major players. So you have real consolidation globally on the food chain. So my response to your question is when you have like this massive like monster that's taken over like basically our necessities of life. I look back on, you know, what my great-grandparents did and they came to Canada as immigrants and and farmed and had, you know, a pretty rough life. You know, it's not fun farming in yeah. in freezing cold conditions with a blizzard of snow, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's I mean, neither different. is it in like 50 yeah. degrees of heat. Yeah, I mean, it's farming is hard. Yeah, like, Let's accept we that. We hide yeah. in our homes for five months of the year and then venture out, like literally. Yeah. So, um, so I look back on that and I think that it's really taking taking um first of all it's acknowledgement that this is actually happening the second thing is okay how do i how do i basically how can i get around this and one thing that i'm saying to people all the time is buy seeds buy seeds grow as much as you can tiny little pots on your windowsill if that means that you're getting like just even your coriander or your um, you know, your basil or your, your parsley or whatever, just something that's alive and green that actually is feeding you. Like there, there's things that you can do um, to, to help, you know, at least give yourself some nutrients and some like live, you know, live enzymes are vital. So our, our fruits and our vegetables are really important to get that live enzyme in. Um, the other thing that I would suggest is what you commented on, which is basically getting those community networks together. Like you're, you're saying, oh, it's not sustainable. It can only feed 10 families. Well, 10 families is huge. And you know what I mean? Like that's a lot. Uh, And if you can create those types of relationships and again, supporting local, supporting that, that those group of people that are just starting out feeding those 10 families, and then they might get to 20 families and then they might get to 50 families. Like that's a potential new business. And I, my feeling, and I say this to my, my kids and my, my, my kids' friends, because they're coming through a system now and they're, they're questioning, do I even go to university? Is it worth it for me to spend all of this money and go into mm. all of this debt to get a university degree when I can't even get out and get a job and like get a sandwich, and you know, the like people running the universities. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, like really there's, there's those big questions now that have to be asked. And I, I say to my kids and my friends and my kids, we're in a new world. Like we really are. And there's new opportunities. So as much as it's like fear factor on one side, I see it as hope and shifting on the other side. So if, you know, if, if some of those people that are going through and they get their bag of stuff and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's rocks in here. I'm not going to eat rocks. I'm not feeding rocks to my family. I've got a small little patch in my backyard. I'm going to grow some, some of this, I'm going to do some of this. So maybe we can trade off. Like we're back to, I think like that, old traditional time where it's like barter system. And I personally, I personally believe in that because I think everybody has God given skills and they, they should be able to use those and trade those without an intermediary. So um, to answer your question in a very long winded way, I think it's imperative to understand what's going on, to create community where you can, and to take individual action where you can, which is growing your own food, cleaning your own water, being responsible for that, learning about it, and then putting that out into the universe and saying, okay, local, 
you know, local people, state people, provincial people, federal people, what are you doing? Why am I paying my taxes if you can't even give me clean water? You know, there's questions that can be asked as well. So I think it's a, it's almost like a shift in, in perception that needs to happen. And then individual responsibility that then is networked to community. Yeah. No, because, you know, sometimes you, um, the grass is always greener, right? I'm sitting in the city and I have a friend who has moved back to a small town near his village and he's gone back to help his mom who's getting on in years and her uh, and his brother who basically run a farm and they have a couple of cows and and he was talking about how hard it is to get help to uh, sow the seeds and reap the harvest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be great to live like in, in, in the, on a farm? Um, with my baby girl being 19 months, it'll be lovely for her to feel that soil beneath her feet and run around, put, you know, put her hands on, you know, in, in the moist mud after a rain. And, but then I'm sitting here in an apartment in Bangalore with all she's seeing is traffic noise, but there are other conveniences of living in, in a big city with an apartment, right? Um, so the thing is like, it's hard for people to even keep their land because, uh, I, I know someone who's got a piece of land he shares with his brothers and the num like he first of all just to put like power back up or to build a small shelter or to keep a crop alive it's mm-hmm. so difficult and it's so easy at the same time when a real estate developer says hey you've got a couple of acres of land i'll give you this in, in at that point in time a seemingly large amount of money and this guy's i mean i wouldn't blame anyone because like yeah it's a no-brainer why should i struggle for three crops to come because of uncertain rains now or lack of water I'd rather just take this money and run. And so many situations like that. So as a result, what's happening, as you pointed out earlier about the big corporates, it may not be directly them controlling it, but a lot of agricultural land is going into the pockets of these real estate developers illegally in many cases, because in India, we have this thing where agricultural land can't be developed without being converted um, under a certain license. It can't be developed into commercial properties. But there are these guys who, who are real estate developers who are hand in hand with the political clout of the state or um, the city. And then they just acquire, in many cases, disputed land, which they kind of strong arm the farmers into selling because they're like, you know what, your neighbor sold it, I, this thing sold it. So if out of 400 acres, you'll be the only one acre there and let, look what we'll do then. And they've been sold, uh, they've sold the land. Now they have no money because they, they're told that, you know, 10 lakhs, which is about, um, I think 10 lakhs, about 6,000, no, about $12,000 is a lot of money. And it is a decent amount of money, but it's not going to last you like that land will if you use it well. And now yeah. next thing you know, these huge, vast tracts of agricultural land outside the city of Bangalore are now just becoming these massive apartments, which mm-hmm. first of all, in many cases don't have water. So they have to bore 1,000 feet, uh, build a bore well. They have to build now if there are earlier that land was two acres of just farming, which would then be again regenerated in the soil. Now it's just concrete, covered in concrete. It's got maybe 10,000 or 5,000 flats with people and parking. And of course, it has beautiful gardens, which are landscaped with lawn and grass. But I'm just thinking, you live in Canada, which of course is um, also got a lot of wilderness and it's got a lot of farming um, historically. But of course, like Canada and India, you have the big cities like Toronto and British Columbia. And, but this uncontrolled growth, um, again, I, I went around the world to come back to this point, is when I sit here, I've had the opportunity to go live in the US, do my undergraduation there, get 
exposure to ideas from there and also you know look at the landscape right when you go out of say i live near portland portland's a relatively big city but then you go to the college town i lived in it's, it's farms you got huge tracts of land you got a lot of wilderness if you go further uh, west or south into oregon or a lot of america's green and in, in india as well there is that but how do you tell someone who's never seen money keep your land it's pure because we we don't know when we we might need to grow our own stuff when they are being offered a check for twenty thousand dollars or what not and how can we deny them growth because they want that right it's being constantly pushed to them the narratives on youtube seeing the millionaires billionaires seeing mm-hmm. these big cars and the the big highways and the big cities and the smartphones and the clothes and the amazon apps and the flip cards which are which are local shopping networks so how do you control because i feel that's where the message to the individual is being manipulated of this need for greed this need for a better mm-hmm. and more the need to get um, a bigger house to, to uh, the need to get a faster electric bike or i'm saying the consumption is what is driving the greed and the greed is driving the consumption but at the same time you can't tell an, a person who's never had money that don't eat crisps or chips from lays you know how bad a company it is or don't drink pepsi because you know you're going to get juvenile diabetes but if i go say that they're like yeah but you know what you have money and you chose not to but i or something like that right but it's not it's not easy when the narrative on the consumption level is driving all these habits and is at the end of the day ruining the environment around us and i say environment i mean the natural habitat and also the 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 way in which habitats are being developed as opposed to just a, earlier it would be a small house with a big garden so you could play around but now it's yeah, uh, the exactly. entire house is developed into this concrete mass you know yeah and i think um your point is is very poignant and i think that the the answer to that is that as individuals it's vital that we actually develop our own discernment mm. because what is being pushed doesn't work. And all you have to do is go to any large U.S. city and see how this system does not work. Mm. People are not healthier. People are not, they might be eating food, but their food is making them sick. It's making them, it's making them basically part of a system of medical assistance. So they're living longer, but their, their, their life, their lifespan is less enjoyable because they're ill for a very large part of it. So um, my, my response to like your points is that until we as individuals get the discernment and I'll give the example of a Tesla car not to pick on Elon, but come on guys, like we're being sold a car that's supposed to be good for the environment because we're no longer burning, you know, gas but we're basically using a car that has been mined. That battery has been mined by child labor, nine out of 10 times child labor in horrible conditions in these mines. And I know that because I'm an, I was a director of a, um, a, uh, a company that basically produced, um, produces environmental bacteria that is all organic and basically helps crops grow and also helps um, stop um, dust particles on mining roads. So we were very involved in mines internationally and had an understanding of what they did. 
So um, I do have some level of knowledge about it, but you know, how, how all of the battery inputs are mined is actually like gobsmackingly disgusting. And what it does to the environment and to the water systems around those mines is so damaging. And then we take that battery and we stick it in this like lovely car that's been marketed by a, a marketing genius um, and told that this is good for the environment. And as we're sitting in that car and you touched on this, the EMFs, the electromagnetic frequency that is basically burning into our bodies and messing up our entire like biological system is off the charts. Mm. So we're stepping, we're paying a lot. Think about how much money a Tesla vehicle is. We're paying huge amounts of cash because we've been programmed and marketed to, to think that this is an environmentally conscious car. I'm going to get into it and feel really good about myself driving through the streets of Toronto or through Delhi or wherever you are internationally, doesn't matter. Pick one big city. You feel like, you know, you're on top of the world driving your Tesla because it says something. But in fact, if you actually use your discernment and your God-given brain, you actually understand that this is a complete scam. (laughs) Like it's a scam. And not only that, but those batteries when, so you're basically burning up in that car, like you're literally frying like a micro, you are, you are like the hot chocolate in the microwave. Okay. Like you're just bubbling up. And your brain's the marshmallow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Thank you. You're so lucky (laughs) to get the marshmallow. Um, But yeah, so we're basically microwaving ourselves like, very expensive and then when that car dies and that battery has to be replaced it's 40 grand to replace that battery and it's like a piece of junk that goes into landfill that then never stops in terms of its toxic give back so we have to really i think stop and start asking bigger questions and when we start doing that things will shift because they have to um, and all those landowners, I, I know their pain. I've seen it in Canada. I've worked closely with farmers. Um, I know the pressure that they're under, and it's actually horrific how little help they're getting, and they're literally being targeted. But yeah. um, the best thing that we can do as individuals is to support those local people doing those local things. Yeah, and what's sad is, you know, there is this past of shipping garbage from big countries to not so well-developed um, countries I've heard about. Uh, huge container ships of plastics and garbage being sent to Indonesia, to Philippines. Um, And just like that, you know, like even on a human level, the whole British scheme to export refugees to Rwanda, this kind of just shows the sign of passing on the buck, right? And then claiming that, you know, you are the most um, liberal uh, immigration policy in a country, or you're the most carbon neutral country. And the same thing is going to, with the batteries, as you said, it's not going to go to the land, uh, land, landfills in, say, New York State or in whichever province in Canada. It's going to go back to Africa. It's going to go where those mines were, where those minerals were mined. It's going to go be dumped back in there. And that's what I find as um, quite, quite, quite fascinatingly sad is this way to kind of pass on the buck and then say, you know what, humanity as a whole is going to suffer because it's not the case, right? Humanity as a whole is um, at some point now everyone's getting affected because I, I'll give you an example, right? It's not to do with um, so much as, uh, of 
of, of pollutants or minerals on, on that scale. But Bangalore, when I was growing up, was a city of 4 million and now it's a city of maybe 12 or 15 million. And that's grown uh, a lot since the entire IT boom in 2001. A lot of people have come here for jobs and the city can't really keep up with growth. And as a result, you know, the politicians uh, hand in hand with the real estate developers have really sort of violated zoning laws and it's just uncontrolled growth. And yes, I have benefited from that growth. I think there's there's some benefits to it being uh, one of a huge thoroughfare for a lot of talent and a lot of people coming in and out. But a lot of disparity when it comes to housing, right? And a lot of the lakes have been kind of um, poisoned. A lot of the lakes have been closed off. A lot of the old storm drains, the sewage lines have been blocked off by construction. And as a result, last year, or maybe, if, yeah, I think last year we had these unseasonal downpours, which just went on and on and on. And typically it's the slums or the poor housing areas that get flooded, right? And everyone's like, yes, that's, isn't, that, isn't that their role in life to be flooded? <laughs> you know, in a very, I'm going to sit in my coffee shop and talk about the plight of the poor people kind of idea. But this year, this time, um, a lot of these high-end housing developments where uh, people have paid a lot of money, like a million plus or two million plus for a house, um, which were on marketed as Lakeview homes <laughs> got got completely flooded because the lake, uh, the water had no way to get into the lake and the, the, the storm drains were all blocked off by things. And these houses, which are so highly prized and marketed, were sitting on a swamp. And mm. the next thing you know, you have these Bentleys and Audis in the media just floating. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I think it's sad for anyone, especially if you earn money and put it in. But then it, everyone's like, my God, the real estate developers have screwed us over. So it takes that kind. Um, it, it ha this happened within Bangalore. But now you can't escape fires, even though you might live in California. It's, it's coming to a point where flooding landslides aren't just relegated to the poor parts of the world. I mean, of course, they've had the brunt of it for years, but it is coming about everywhere, right? You're having um, massive natural um, impacts in places where you cannot pay it off. You cannot pass on the buck anymore. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, to, uh, the same thing is actually happening in, in North America is what's happening to you. And it's fascinating to me because same thing that, you know, when it, when it's happening to like people that don't have a loud voice because they don't have, you know, large bank accounts, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's an apathy attached to that, which I think is actually quite vile and disgusting. Yeah. Um, but again, bad decisions are bad decisions. So when you, when you think that you can outsmart mother nature and you can outsmart like how, like literally the laws of nature, which are there and, by disrespecting that it, it has no other way but to but to negatively impact us yeah and yeah. you know not that i'm i i don't wish anybody to lose their home or to have that kind of stress i don't care how much you know what where you're at it's still a horrible terrifying experience to Absolutely, have to go yeah. through that um but you know people with the money and the power need to basically be those voices for the people that don't have money and power mm. because you're next. Yeah. Like we're all next. Like we're all being bombarded with EMF. EMF does not have a, a you know, EMFs and, and being microwaved constantly, which is actually really fundamentally affecting our bodies and our minds. Like it is increasing cancer rates. It's increasing, increasing uh, st sterility rates, like blah, blah, blah. There's a million things that EMF does negatively to our bodies. Right. 
Um, and now they're on two wheelers, so it's literally between your legs. So you know, it's it's even more intimate. It's scary. It yeah. is. Yeah, it's true. And so we're you know we're we're being bombarded, and it doesn't have a class. It doesn't have a financial attachment. Yeah, like that is pollution that is completely focused. I would say actually on higher income earners because they're the ones using the computers, the tablets, they're the ones that want the high 5G because they need the, the networks that, to do their financial analysis, blah, blah, blah. So that EMF poisoning is actually going to hit the wealthy before it hits the poor. And, you know, I think it's a great example of like, we we're all in this together. I think that when we can actually truly understand that we're all one, what, ha- what happens to you and your family where you are affects me and my family. Like, it is to me uh, very much a, a, a microcosm. Like we are all microcosms of a greater of, of a greater functioning um, live entity called Earth, and our impact is huge. And and again, I would say that you know, getting back to one of your questions, which is what can we do as individuals? A huge part, and one that I'm really exploring now, is the importance of how we use our minds and how we use our our emotions to actually manifest what can possibly be. So for example, if I have like contaminated water, like there are things that you can do to actually change the frequency of water to actually make it work for you in a greater way. Mm. Um, And I think that as we can, as we use greater discernment, as we understand that as individuals, we actually have a huge impact and that impact really is, how we see and view ourselves and how we interact with others around us. And that is elevating our own frequency, which in my, in, in my study and, and research, because um, I always try to have fact-based science approaches to things, but the changing your, the way you think about things and to project in a more positive way has a huge impact, not only on your own body, but it actually literally changes your force field. So that impacts by default other people that you're interacting with. So I think it's very important for us not only to, to make decisions that, you know, are kind of like, okay, I'm going to eat this and, you know, I'm going to grow my vegetables and I'm going to like do this to my water. It's also about how you actually literally see yourself and how you, how you, how you regulate your emotions. So if you're functioning in fear, shame, or judgment, that's a very low frequency, and that's actually going to attract very low frequency to you. If you're functioning and, and trying to elevate frequency on a higher level, you actually like those things almost like go to the wayside, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's something which is uh, a thing which has been taking up a lot of my um, waking hours, thinking about this um, idea, right, of energy and the energy that we transmit. And to kind of shift to where we both are. I mean, I'm a vegetarian and I've been, a, I mean, I, I used to eat meat, but for the longest time, I've just never enjoyed it. I just ate it because it was something that, you know, people said, oh, if you travel, it'll be hard to be a vegetarian or you're a vegetarian. It's kind of seen as, are you serious? You, you can't eat meat. It, it, there was a bit of a coolness to eating meat, right? At least in the nineties and two thousands. And, but, um, when it comes to food, let, we've addressed the idea of the the, the, the state of the food production um, of the land, the soil, the distribution, 
the um, ingredients going into processed food. I mean, it's it's a huge, it's a huge. I wouldn't say problem, but there is a huge level of ignorance um, and a huge level of manipulation. Uh, but on the other side, you have the 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 the, the groups of people. Uh, you mentioned the low frequency, the energy from blame and fear. A lot of that going on, where there are people attacking meat eaters for 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 eating meat, or uh, people attacking vegetarians for whatever reason. And and as a result, there's no cohesion even there. Uh, while we're all in it together, uh, while we face the impact of the natural changes and the natural disasters, why are we so separate when it comes to food? Because you are, have a plant-based protein company, a plant-based supplement company. Mm-hmm. And you are, you did it because of various reasons for your own health and you wanted to help other women who are going through the same uh, symptoms and other issues. But why are we pointing and attacking people uh, on social media or and as activists saying that my food choice is better than your food choice and your food choice is killing the planet? Because doesn't it just go and add more to, to more add more fuel to this fire of 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 separating each of us and not finding a common way to move ahead and help each other i have a story about that which i'd like to share with you and um i used to do a lot of talks across canada t- at some of the big health food stores one being whole foods so i'm not sure if uh-huh. you guys have it in india we but- haven't got it but i know people who literally order whole foods when someone's traveling and they're like we really want yeah whole i mean foods, it's yeah. an emporium of like organic natural choices right yeah. so I was giving a talk there and, and one of the employees that worked in whole body, which is the skincare kind of um, uh, department, you know, she and I became good friends and I saw her after some time and she'd lost a lot of weight. And I, I said to her, cause she lived in Vancouver. I lived in Toronto. So I'd see her like maybe three or four times a year in terms of my travels. So I hadn't seen her for some time. I saw her and she said, Oh my gosh, I've become a vegetarian. You know, her skin was all bright and glowy and she'd lost all this weight. And I said, you look fantastic you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing, like if it works, it works. I've been, again, a vegetarian since I was 17. I'm now 55. That's a long time to be a vegetarian. Yeah. Um, But I did it for my body. It resonated with me and it also resonated with my morals and ethics because of the way I knew that animals were treated in that process. That was important to me to avoid. Yeah. So um, any kind of meat or anything that I buy or, or, or have bought in the past to cook for others, has been always organic and I want to know where they, where, where the, where my food comes from anyway. So I don't see her for a long time. I come back maybe six months later and, and I see her and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what's new. And she said, Anne, I said, are you still a vegetarian? She said, no. And I said, really, what happened? She said, one day I just woke up and all I could think about was eating Buffalo, <laughs> Buffalo. Yeah. Okay. And she's like, and that's a big thing in Canada, like in the, in the West side of Canada, like, people eat they don't you don't eat buffalo half the country does would never eat buffalo the other half will yeah um so and she said i just couldn't stop thinking about it she said for three days straight that's all i ate was buffalo burgers and sausages and and i just had to get this into my body and i said okay listen hon you're a 36 year old woman at the time a 33 somewhere around there and i said you are your body is changing your hormones are changing and i believe that you're actually probably iron deficient 
and your body was basically screaming out like i need iron now and i'm i'm ready to make babies right she hadn't had any children right. yet and i said like it makes sense to me that your body did that well the next time i saw her there she is with a baby like literally in a carriage stroller and like you know so why i'm telling you that story is that for a number of reasons every single one of our bodies is different we have yeah. different genetics we have different blood uh types we have different cultural and religious practices. We have different DNA that has been passed down through mom and dad, right? So, you know, my background is is Dutch, Scottish, and, and English, British. Um, and so, like, I can drink beer and, and consume beer that other people couldn't. It, like, it doesn't bother my body. I don't have an allergic response to that. That's genetically kind of, like, put into my system, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that we have to accept that everybody's different. And then secondly, we have to accept that we're different at different stages of our lives. So what I needed when I was pregnant, and I've been a vegan, a vegan, vegan, I started eating eggs when I was pregnant because I couldn't get enough protein in my body from a vegan source. I understood that my body was telling me very clearly what was happening. Yeah. So when you live a balanced life, your body actually tells you. So for somebody else to dictate the terms and conditions upon what you're consuming and when and how and why is really nobody's frigging business as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well said, yeah. Yeah, and again, I, I think that every the more balanced you are, the more your body speaks to you. So why would I be upset that somebody is saying, oh my gosh, I really need to, I really need to eat meat right now. And my son said that to me when he was six years old, raised a complete vegan. He actually said to me crying. He said, mom, I wake up thinking I want to eat chicken. I go to school thinking I want to eat chicken. And I go to bed thinking I want to eat chicken. I was like, dad, and then your body's telling you that you should eat chicken. So let's go to an organic farm and get like organic chicken and know and see how your body resonates and guess what it resonated very highly with him so right. you know i think that that would be my answer to that in terms of like i think people have to stop the judgment have to stop the shaming have to stop the fear-based mentality which is so low frequency and accept that other people do things based upon what's best for them and we have to support them and educate them along the way yeah no so Coming to the, the point of your products and how you've designed them to, for specific reasons when it comes to women's health, when you are designing something plant-based, uh, especially a supplement, of course, there are so many things in a supplement. It's not just protein, but it could be the minerals. It could be the enzymes. How, does, uh, how did you go about it? And what were the things that you were looking to address through your the, the supplements your company was selling, which I think is called Edica, right? That's the company's name. Yeah, um, it's um, Edica Naturals. Yeah. Edica Naturals. Um, so, yeah, so I, yeah. um, in terms of like the, the, the formulation, so I kind of reverse engineered everything. So being a plant-based person for my entire adult life and being in the health and wellness industry, you know, I ate very clean food. I was doing what I considered to do everything right. And then I got hit with like perimenopause, which hit me really, really strongly. My hormones were completely out of whack. The same thing happened to my mom. So there was a genetic predisposition to all of this. And that is what, this is actually like our hero product, um, um, Easy Estro. So um, we actually like, um, I, what I did was I said, okay, there's, I'm having these issues with hormones 
this is not a natural state for me to be in. This is not something that I should be doing right now. And so everyone just said, you just have to accept it. And you just have to accept it. You have to accept perimenopause and menopause and just live with it for the rest of your life. No, I'm not going to do that. So when I went out to do the formulation for it, I reverse engineered it. What are the results that I want to have? I want to stop hot flashes. I want to stop night sweats. I want to stop, you know, brain fog. I want to stop like the anxiety that goes with it. And as a result of that, like I looked at different herbs, different remedies for those end results, and then put that together and have science behind that as well. So um, the Easy Estro product is an amazing product to basically handle female hormones. But as I was doing that, and I'm talking about it, and I generated like that product, I actually had men talking to me and they were like, hey, what about us? And that's when I developed it to the max. And that was when I realized that a lot of men going like late 30s and it's starting again younger, like it used to be men's testosterone levels sort of started to go down in their 50s, 60s. Now it's starting earlier. So um, this product I actually brought out to basically help with increasing testosterone levels and give men that hormonal support because Mm. they go through hormonal changes too. And um, the result has been excellent. So those were sort of like the two places that I started at and then basically built from there. And then we've got like, you know, this is one of our great products to joint send, um, which does like joint support and stops like pain when you have like, you know, blow back pain or knee pain or all that kind of stuff, which I actually personally believe is being exacerbated by the EMFs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, my goal. It's also a sign of inflammation, right? Exactly. Very much inflammation. Yeah. We are, we are so inflamed from our food, from our water, from our EMF zappings. From our um, ideas. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a big problem. Um, but in my mind, like everything that I do, I want results in. So I've spent my life in health and wellness being pitched and marketed to all these shows I've gone to, like I've tried thousands of products literally i've tried thousands of products and it it always makes me very upset and angry when they don't work so yeah the products that i do everything is is going to work within 30 days you should have some feeling of change within seven yeah so seven days like you you know you want to feel something kick in within seven days you know okay i'll try it for a month i'll give it 30 days and then if something works after 30 days you should take it daily um So that's been my real focus on trying to not only educate people that plants and nature basically is there to literally give you great benefits. You don't have to go to hormone replacement therapy. You don't have to go to, you know, cortisol and treatments, uh, injections instead of like just taking a couple of tablets a day. Um, Like to me, nature is there to absolutely not only help us, but to heal us. And that is my goal in terms of like educating people about the benefits of all of these incredible plant-based and natural ingredients that can have incredible results. That's beautiful because, you know, it seems more and more with the soil being depleted and the vegetables and the greens and all the things you get, the fruits you get to your plate, how much ever you try to kind of be in control of, if it's a friend and a friend's friend growing it, but Still, the soil has a network which connects from below our feet, which we're not aware of in many cases, and the water running through that soil and the runoffs. Um, So do you see a day uh, where we will be more dependent on supplements than the regular food we eat? I 
Very good point. Um, very good point. Because I used to actually say to people, eat your vitamins and minerals. Don't take them, right? Like don't take them in a tablet. But yeah. to your point, yes, we have depleted the minerals and the vitamins in the soil because of all the contaminants that we're putting in there. Yeah. So, and because of the way that we no longer farm with your vacant land, like before, you know, you'd have, you, you'd have like your, your um, farmland that would be vacant for a couple of years. And that would again, re reignite the soil because you're getting all of those like minerals being replaced by all of those weeds and all of that uh, going back in, which is why hemp is such an amazing, amazing uh, crop to use. Um, so I think, my best case scenario, if I could say, you know, if I had like the absolute best vision of the planet, we literally are in the Garden of Eden where we have lush, beautiful, incredible like fruit and vegetables and nutrients that are coming from this amazing soil because we've taken care of it and we understand the benefits of it. And we, we literally look at the soil as like as important as we look at water. Yeah. Um, that would be best case scenario for me. Having said that, I think in the interim supplementation is vital because it does get you the results quickly. Um, and it basically is a, is a, a quick fix for the problems that we're experiencing on the soil level. So as much as I don't want to say everybody should, you know, look at taking supplementation, I think it's a vital part of like at least the next say 10 to 20 years as we hopefully transition into more of a, you know, soil plant loving kind of like community focus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, I think, you know, there's this other thing where people just Google, I'm feeling tired. And next thing they've got eight bottles of supplements and they're popping it, which isn't also good because you need to be, you need to consult with someone about it, right? Whoever you choose to, whether it's a doctor or a health consultant, but just before we leave, and I want to ask you about the approvals you get, right? Because you can't just sell this off the shelf and you've got FDA approval and you've got the Canadian equivalent, which I forget what it's called, the natural, the NCN. Uh, it's Health Canada and it's a natural product. It's a natural product number. Basically, you get registered mm -hmm. with the Canadian the NPN, government. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been following some of the research when it comes to Stargardt's disease and macular degeneration, um, not very closely, but... That's the condition I have. So I, when I look at it, it says stage one trial or stage two trial, then it says not awaiting FDA approval and nothing's come out. Um, but how um, how um, relevant, maybe, I don't know, too, too, too harsh a word, but how um, up to date are these agencies where, where when it comes to giving approval because of the, um, I, I've heard, I'm not sure, this, I don't want to speculate, but is there... Um, constant revision of the, the 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 parameters that these these agencies use with to keep up with the changing environment to keep up with um the the the, the climate and to keep up with the needs of the human beings that they are pr protecting great question and thank you for asking that because very few people actually ask about that regulatory process so just for perspective, Health Canada is probably the most well-respected regulatory agency in the world in terms of in terms of natural products and scientific review. They're um, incredibly detailed in terms of like what they go through, what you can and cannot say. Like you, 
it's very science focused in terms of like whatever claim you have on your label, like I'm saying it does X, Y, Z, that's actually got to be approved and that you are very limited in terms of what you can and cannot say about your product. Yeah. Um, and they actually register your formula, review the formula. It takes about, it used to take a year. Now it takes about two years to go through that process. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, yeah. And then they give you the set of claims that you can, that you can make and it's very exact. So your labeling is extremely important. Um, in, in Canada, like what you say on the label is, is very fact-based the difference with the FDA. So we have FDA on all of our products. So each one of these has been reviewed by the FDA, but the FDA only reviews natural products. They don't, um, approve them. They review Uh, them. Right. So, um, they give you a list of claims that they suggest you could make with it. And actually the Canadian and the U S are very similar in terms of like the claims we got for both. Yeah. Um, but the FDA goes through a different process for um, like pharmaceutical products. So that's when you get into your different schedules and it's basically a six to 10 year process. um, And it's very, you know, regulated from that side of it. So the FDA and health Canada have a similar focus on, the pharmaceutical um, claims and approvals that they do. So there is a difference and there's a distinction. The difference between the U S and Canada is that in Canada, you can't sell anything over the counter. You can't sell anything online. You can't sell anything in Canada that has not been approved by health Canada. So Mm. Canada actually has much higher standards in terms of our approval and the scientific process that takes place for all of the natural products that we list and that's actually even in in it it applies not as much in the skincare industry but it applies in the pet care industry Mm. so canadian products are actually like pretty high like high scale review scientific focus yeah. yeah, I suppose when the government's footing the bill, they want to make sure that they're not putting crap into their people, right? <laughs> so they're just like, hey, we don't yeah, need- <laughs> <you hope>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a pretty arduous process. I have to say, like, it's not easy yeah. going to get uh, formulas done. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, I, yeah. uh, you know, there's two sides being a business owner. You're like, oh, can't you hurry up? But yeah. the point is, is that once you get that NPN, you really got that stamp of approval. And because they're so conscious and so diligent, like it, it, it means a lot. So, and we actually got pretty amazing claims for all of our products. I have to say, like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, thank you for doing the good work and helping people because, you know, um, we hear a lot of people just talking uh, today, which is great. I love talking, so I'm one of them. But there are a lot of people who make <laughs> claims and who, who get into these heated arguments. And as you said, you know, each person's body, what they choose to put into it, you should respect that. And again, the individual choices that we have to make uh, is what is going to determine where we individually and then collectively can steer the direction in which our societies are heading because what affects you in Canada can affect me in India. And I think... People like you making an effort to to change your profession because you really wanted to um, ensure that your children were raised in an environment which had better food, had better water, um, and then continuing that with the products you're making through Etica Natural. I think this goes to show your care. And I think 
more people like you are what we need. So I appreciate you taking the time and um, on the podcast today and also appreciate the great work you're doing and helping all and all the people you're helping out there today. So cheers. Thank you so much, Sophie. It's been an absolute pleasure being with you today and sharing time with you and um, saying a big hello and and outreach to all of your all of your listeners um, in in India and around the world. And any way I can help, you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm also on uh, Instagram and Facebook. So if there's any questions that you or any of your viewers have about any plants or anything, any way that I can help, I'm I'm here to answer questions. And if I can't, I will I will find other smarter people than me um, that I know that can uh, that can help to answer anything. So I'm I'm just putting that out there. Oh, that's lovely. And I'm sure I'll put the link to Etika Natural so people want to go check out uh, men or women um, for any reasons they have to check out your website and the supplements you have on there. So thank you and all the best with everything you have planned for the future. Anne. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sophie. Take care. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.